Okay, Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. The parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to be five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also, and he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You had been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But this master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have... Where... Excuse me... Uh, gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has taken, who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, excuse me, for to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and the cast and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth may god bless the reading of his word i now invite pastor jeff up to preach morning every uh, two weeks maybe every month Many of us probably get some sort of pay stub, right? some sort of documentation to show how much we earned or what income was paid out to us during that pay period. I'm sure many of us probably don't look at it. You know, it's probably not something that we're double checking. It's a lot of it is automated, right? There's the direct deposit, the money kind of just shows up in our bank account. And maybe we'll check once in a while just to make sure there's money in there to pay the bills. But if we were to look at that pay stub, what we would find is there's a lot of information on there. There's our name, there's our address, there's like a space for our social security number, but it's all blocked off, right? And maybe there's a breakdown of what all, like, the money is, and maybe how many hours we worked, uh, what pay period it's for. You know, basically everything on that kind of document, that PDF, that sheet, is there to point to the fact that this money is ours. 
It's this ongoing, bi-weekly, monthly reminder continuing to teach us and shape us and mold us with the idea that this money is ours. To do with what we like, to have total control over, or to use it to gain control over other things in our lives, right? Things like our time, or our health, or our kids, or our freedom, or our pleasures, or our relationships, And yet when we look in Scripture, when we talk about stewardship, everything about stewardship kind of points to the exact opposite, right? That we are stewards, that what we have is what God has graciously given to us to manage and to be generous with for the sake of his kingdom. And so this is what our passage is about this morning as we continue in this sermon series of investing in eternity, the joy of financial stewardship. And so the first point this morning is kind of tied to this analogy of this, this pay stub, right? which is this, that we are managers and not owners. And so this is how our passage begins. Jesus is speaking and he's sharing another parable. And the parable begins like this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And so we might ask, right, right as we're, we're starting this parable, what is it? Right, because he's making a comparison here, but what is it and what is he comparing it to? Right, Jesus, if we were to kind of go, go back a little bit, if you were to kind of scroll up or flip a page back in your, in your pew Bibles, Jesus is in the middle of speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And it's coming, that it's going to come suddenly, it's going to come unexpectedly. You know, he had just given another parable right before this about ten young women in the previous verses. So there were five uh, who were foolish, five who were wise. And the point of that parable was the importance of being ready. The importance of being ready. And this parable now, as he kind of shifts gear a little bit, that this parable, the parable of the talents, is explaining to us what readiness looks like. So another kind of point of contrast between these two parables to kind of help us understand what this parable is about. These five young women who were caught unprepared, well, they kind of thought, well, readiness is kind of easier than it was. Right? They're like, oh, well, the wedding party, the, the, the kingdom will come and we'll be ready. It'll be fine. We'll take our time, do our thing. Here, the, the wicked and slothful servant, as we're going to see in the passage, perhaps thought that readiness was a lot harder than it is. And so what Jesus is doing here with this particular parable is to compare readiness for the kingdom with stewardship. And, and that begins with telling the parable, beginning the parable with the parameters of stewardship, that we are managers not owners. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servant. So there's, there's actually an extra word here in the Greek uh, that just kind of emphasizes the idea, this relationship, that these are his servants. So you don't need to know the actual uh, word. You don't need to know Greek. But, you know, you could read a couple other translations, and they might kind of bring that emphasis out, right? So we could read it as, you know, these are, you know, he's calling his own servants, Or maybe we'll read it as his servants, but imagine if the his was italicized, right? The same point, different ways to point it out. And so it's to his own servants 
to his servants that he is entrusting to them his property. The very act of entrusting to them what is ultimately his and not theirs. That's the beginnings of stewardship, of what this whole sermon series is about. That we are managers and not owners. It's not ours, but it is ours to manage. And so one Christian financial author, he kind of defines it this way. I like it. It's short and sweet, right? He defines stewardship as this. The use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. Stewardship is the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. And so in this passage, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. But for all three, to each according to his ability. And so as we read this, right, there aren't actually any explicit instructions given. Because that would have been nice, right? Like if Jesus just said, you know, follow these simple steps. Steps A, B, C, one, two, three, right? Give this, do this. It would probably be a lot less work for us, maybe. It would require a lot less discernment to try and figure out, like, how do we actually be faithful and generous in our stewardship? It, would, it might even simplify the accountability that we ought to have with one another. And we would simplify it to just, you know, asking, well, did you do it or did you not? Did you give this amount or did you not? But if we were to take that and, and you know, expect just expi- explicit, specific instructions, it wouldn't necessarily take into account the differences in ability, which I think Jesus is trying to, point out, right? If Jesus had just said, give this amount always, how does that challenge us to grow in generosity or to stretch our faith like we're stretching our muscles? Or what happens if for some of us, we are nowhere near being able to give that amount and never will be? In fact, I think even for us today, as we look at this passage, there's some things that are not clear, such as like how much each servant is actually given because a talent was a weight, not a unit of currency. So it's not the same thing as, you know, reading it and saying, oh, one servant was given $5,000, another servant was given $2,000, and a third servant was given $1,000. You know, a talent or weight of gold is worth more than a talent of silver, right, which is worth more than a talent of copper. Jesus didn't specify the unit of currency. But we do know that the talent was one of the largest weights used in in normal usage. And so it was a lot. All three servants were given a substantial amount to manage, even if there were relative differences between the three of them. And so stewardship, when you kind of look at this, stewardship is not about how much necessarily, but it's about how faithful how faithful we are. It's not about how, what we have, but it's about what we do with what we have. And so with these first two servants, both kind of started out with different amounts, right? They also ended up with different amounts. They doubled it. They were trying to take risks to grow, to, to be faithful. And it was their faithfulness and how they managed their master's money that led them to even get the same response, even though they started out differently and ended up differently. The response was this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. 
Enter into the joy of your master. All right, so stewardship is using God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals and that we are ultimately managers, not owners. Then the second point in Jesus' parable is this. Grow what we're given. Grow what we're given. Right, there are three servants here. Three people who have been entrusted with this master's property. But even among these three, there's a contrast here. You know, two servants invest, one servant squanders. And so in the story, you read about this third servant. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Effectively, you know, if we were to think about it, he was like those servants who were not given anything at all. The servants who weren't entrusted with anything at all. But, but in fact, the difference there is he himself was the one who put himself in that position. Right? It was a, a conscious choice on the part of this third servant to refuse what God had given him and instead to squander the opportunities that, ar- that arose. It was a, a wasted opportunity. In ancient times, actually, hiding objects for safekeeping wasn't actually too uncommon, right? People did it. If you did it well, then no one else would kind of know where it was, what, what you hid, what was in it, right? The point would have been that this money or whatever you're burying is secure. No one could touch it. Not even you. And when the master would come back, then this third servant could easily find it, dig it up, and reproduce and give it back, right? Here is what you gave me. It's secure. No risk was taken at all. And so there was no possibility of loss, right? But the flip side is true too, right? There's no possibility for gain. And so squandering this opportunity was meaning we're wasting the opportunity to grow what we're given. These servants were entrusted with a good amount of money. Again, we don't know the exact amount, it's not clear how much, but we know that a talent was a weight, and it was a, ma- uh, it was a lot. But notice, like, when the, the master, who's God, describes it in his response to the first two servants, what, is, what does he say? He says, you've been faithful over a little. Right? As if to say that from our perspective, what is in our bank accounts, what is in our wallets, what is in our Venmo accounts, right? Look at all that, has, look at all that God has given us. It is so much. But from God's perspective, it's nothing compared to his, the abundance of his wealth. And that distinction there, I think, also leads now into drawing out some of the differences between faithful stewardship and fearful stewardship that I think Jesus is pointing out in this parable. With the first two servants, right, the master repeats this characteristic of faithfulness that each of these two servants had embodied through their managing of what they were entrusted with. In fact, in faith, in faithfulness, both doubled what they were given. But look at this third servant, right? It's not faith that is a primary motive, motivator for what he does with what he has, but fear. Verses 24 to 25, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, 
I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Fear is what drove him to squander rather than to steward well. Right? The servant says to the master, I need you to be a hard man. That word hard tells us exactly how this servant viewed God. Right? The type of relationship that this servant had with God. Right? That God, his God, the picture of God in his mind was a God who was demanding in one's behavior. This God was strict and harsh and cruel and merciless. And if this is the God that you worship, if he is your master, then no wonder that it's going to impact in certain ways what you do with what you have. Right? Fear, not faith, will lead you to squander rather than to steward well. And so this, I think, is it's an important point for us to reflect on as we make our way through this sermon series. Who is the God that we worship? What kind of God is the God that we worship? Now, some of us, we, we probably know our theology really well, right? Like, our, you know, our God is a benevolent God, a compassionate God, a gracious God. So we might ask this instead. When I look at what I do with what God has given to me, what does that tell others about the God I worship? When I look at what I do with what God has given to me, what does that tell others about the God I worship? In this parable, Jesus uh, makes the point that this master was gone for a long time, right? Long enough time, so long that you can't really time his return. You can't predict it, but you can expect it. You just don't know when, right? And isn't, what these, isn't that what these two back-to-back parables is, is about, right? The importance of being ready for the kingdom and kind of an ex- explanation of what readiness looks like for the Christian life. Readiness looks like being good stewards in the waiting. So what might that look like tangibly, practically for us as we live our daily lives going in and out to work, to family, to whatever, right? I'm actually, I'm grateful to, for one of our CrossFit members who came up to me last week after last week's message that we kicked off the sermon series. I actually gave a recommendation for a book that he himself had just went through with some friends. It was a book that was helpful both theologically and also practically when it came to being faithful and fearful stewards. The book is called Leverage. Using Temporal Wealth for Eternal Gain. So the entire book is kind of divided into two halves, right? The first is written by two authors, one who is more of a theologian and one who is a Christian uh, person working in that financial aspect, financial fields. And so you have uh, the first half kind of writing about the theology of giving. Why do we give? Why is it important to be generous? What is stewardship? And the second half is talking about, well, what does that look like tangibly? You know, for someone who has exposure and experience into this field of giving and taxes and 
all this other stuff, right? Like how do we leverage what God has given to us for eternal gain? So if we are managers and not owners, then we are to grow what we're given. And in this book, it kind of gives a couple examples. The author, uh, for one, was writing about the difference between what he calls cash flow giving and net worth giving. When we think about giving, right, being generous and investing and not squandering what we've been given, we tend to think of cash flow, right, of giving based on income, on that that pay stub that I talked about very early on, right? Income is made up of a number of sources, right? Our salary, bonuses, rental income, I don't know, the list can go on, right? And that income then, we take that income, it flows in and we divide it into different categories, right? We set aside some for giving, we set aside some for taxes, set aside some for savings, set aside some for debt, if we have loans or car loans or mortgages or whatever, and then we set aside some for living expenses, food and groceries and clothes and whatever, right? And so according to the book, when most of us kind of determine the way that we uh, give and how much we should give, we, we multiply our income, whatever is on that pay stub, right, maybe pre-tax, right, uh-huh. by a percentage, maybe 10%, 15, 20, 25, 30, whatever it might be, and we take that percentage, take that amount, and then we put it into this giving category. Right? And that's cash flow giving. It's a very simple, kind of straightforward um, step towards thinking about, all right, how do we grow in our stewardship, in our faithfulness? We give out of our cash flow. It makes the most sense, right? It, this is the most liquid, right? It's not tied up in uh, physical assets or other things, right? And it's the most immediate, right? It's hitting our bank accounts, right? Stewardship is using God-given resources to accomplish God-given goals. Income is what we've been given by God, contrary to the point about, you know, the pay stubs earlier. We can't give what we don't have, right? But the author really is interesting because it starts to raise another point. But another thing that we do have that we can give out of. And so he starts to challenge some of the readers about what this can look like. So it's not just our cash flow, but our net worth. Right? Net worth is this overall financial picture, right? You know, our assets minus liabilities. You know, talking about net worth, to some extent, might lead us to think outside of the box, right? There, that there's more to give than what is just on our pay stub. There's investments, there's retirement, there's these things grow too. There's physical assets like properties and homes and cars, right? And what happens when, you know, our loans, like a car loan or student loan, is paid off? What happens with that? Our, our net worth goes up. How does that affect the overall financial picture? And so net worth is asking hard questions like this author present presents in this book. Like, why am I allowing my net worth to grow? Do I need it to increase at this rate? Do I have a future use for this growth? What is my financial finish line that I need for when I retire, for when I pass on, and and what can I do with everything else? Now, the caveat is, and even this author points out, like, look, Some of us have a smaller income and a smaller net worth. And discussion about net worth giving is a non-starter. And that's okay. 
That's okay. Right? That, I think that's Jesus' point, right? About being called to give according to our own ability and not growing our own pile. And so it might look different for each person, where we're at, and what's happening. But the point, underlying point remains the same, right? How are we being challenged to grow, to be generous, to be faithful stewards of what God has given us? The author makes another point about giving that is kind of tied to this parable. Right? We said in, in the parable, the master is, is gone a long time, right? And it's in that time, in the waiting, not knowing exactly when the master would return, that we are called to be faithful stewards. And so one of the authors of this leverage book poses two questions for us to think about. He writes, first question, what would I do with my wealth if I knew I was going to die in 12 months? The second question, what would I do with my wealth if I knew the Lord would return in 12 months? Both questions are important, right? But they're also a little bit different. He writes, the first question would involve some financial planning, right? Estate planning, figuring out how much money you're going to give, how much to leave behind for family, where you're going to give your assets to, right? Because things will carry on. The second question, though, makes the point that when Jesus returns, hopefully we won't be caught hoarding a pile of assets instead of investing them in eternity. Because when Jesus comes back, then that's it. There's no, no more opportunities to compound our growth, to grow, to invest in eternity. Because it's here. Now, it's not like we're, we might be actually, you know, physically burying our assets. It's not like we take a shovel and go into our backyard and start digging, you know, and bury some money and a time caps or whatever. But maybe perhaps we do bury in other ways what God has given us. We don't know when we will depart to be with the Lord. We don't know when God will return to be with us. So both questions are important, and we have to live with both questions in mind. And so given that, the author gives another example of kind of what he says, what he talks about, current versus deferred giving. Right? Current giving is giving now while you're alive. Deferred giving is giving after you pass through your will or your estate. And his point is simply that there are, there are many reasons that we might opt for deferred giving the fear of what if right like what if something happens i need it now what if there's an emergency what if something comes up right maybe we offer deferred giving because you know we we don't just we just don't have a plan right now or you haven't thought too much about it it's just easier to kind of you know wait until later or or maybe we we offer deferred giving because we're only focusing on giving what we have which is liquid and so many of our things are tied up in physical assets or things that aren't liquid, and so we feel constrained by that. But his point is really is actually to challenge us. And I think what Jesus is doing too in his parable is to challenge us that if we are to grow what we're given, then let's be challenged to give now and not wait. To start sowing the seeds now. Right? And, and part of this is faith, right? Faith that God will be the one to, to cause it to grow, that, that God can be the one to compound that growth year over year over year, right? Basic financial principles, right? That the dollar invested today is worth multiple dollars in the future, right? 
And so he gives an example. He compares, you know, having $100,000 to invest in eternity now versus doubling it in 12 years at a 6% interest rate and giving away $200,000 in 12 years. Where he, and he, he kind of does this thought experiment, ask, uh, challenging us, right? In those 12 years, what could God do with the $100,000 that would have uh, been invested today? Would have had fruit that is multiplying year over year over year, compounding, right? And he divides that, you know, arbitrarily, not arbitrarily, but he, you know, gives a couple examples. Like taking that, taking that amount and says, you know, a portion could be set aside to distribute a thousand Bibles, right, to countries with limited access. You know, a portion of it could be set to drill wells for clean drinking water, to fund ministries, to uh, raise up or produce 2,000 new Christians, right, or to fund marriage ministries that would have an impact on a thousand marriages or to provide discipleship materials for university students, right? So the point of it is to, as it is tied to our parable, is not to squander opportunities now to grow what we're given. Don't wait to see what God can do. And so this is the third and last point. If we are managers, not owners, and we are to grow what we're given, then use it or lose it. Verse 29, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he uh, has will be taken away. The failure to use what God has given to us forfeits it entirely. Use it or lose it. Here in this passage, faithful, not fearful stewardship is compared to being, uh, is compared to being ready for the kingdom. Right? A lack of readiness means a lack of stewardship, which in turn means missing out on the joy of entering into the joy of our God. We have a responsibility to use it or to lose it, to give according to each of our own abilities, not to grow our own piles, to build up our own war chests or what have you. Let me close with this example. Anyone know who this person is? Really old picture. I, wouldn't exp- I don't even know when I, <laughs> when I would look at this picture. But this, this is John Wesley. Some of you might remember that name, right? John Wesley, an English theologian, evangelist, founder of the Methodist movement. Does anyone know who this person is? <laughs> this is not Justin. <laughs> this is Mr. Beast. Um, if you don't know him uh, and you have children, or you go ask them, or go ask the people up front, you know, where you could hear the most laughter. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he is like the, one of the top most subscribed individuals on YouTube, right? He makes these elaborate, super over-the-scale videos on YouTube where he gives away money or houses or cars. He do, does these extreme stunts. He gave away an island or jets. I don't know. All these different things, right? The whole premise of his video, of his YouTube channel, is like ph- philanthropic and like giving away th- money, right? What do these two people, John Wesley and Mr. Beast, have in common? Both of them plan to die broke. One of them already did, but 
the other one plans to. Right? The fundamental reason for that might be a little bit different when you kind of drill in deep. But I think there's still a little bit of similarities in terms of their responses and how they think about money and giving and helping people. For Wesley, right, when Jesus returns, the opportunity to grow what we're given, the opportunity to invest, will end. And so what will we do with all that's left over, that's just there, right? In 1731, Wesley began to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. One year, his income was 30 uh, 30 pounds, and his living expenses was 28 pounds, and so he gave two pounds. He had two pounds to give away. The next year, his income doubled. He still managed to live on 28 pounds, and so he had 32 pounds to give away, and so on and so forth. And, And many years later, in 1744, he wrote, When I die, if I leave behind me 10 pounds, you and all mankind can bear witness against me that I have lived and died a thief and a robber. That's with 10 pounds left. Right? But by the time he died, he had given away the equivalent of $30 million today. The only money in his will was the miscellaneous coins in his pockets when he passed. Similarly, when Mr. Beast was interviewed last year, his initial goal was to earn $1 billion and then give it all away, right? But then he he was asked about that. He had uh, an updated goal. He said this in the interview. I know that dying with a bunch of money is a complete waste of time. Not a waste of time. It's just dumb. I enjoy helping people, and so if I'm going to spend my whole life just making money because it's kind of fun before I die, I literally want to give away 100% of everything that I own. Again, we are each called to give according to our own ability. Now, some of us may not literally be called to die broke. I'm not saying that this is the one and only thing that we, you know, we all have to do, right? But we are, as we see in this parable, all called to be managers, not owners, to grow what we've been given and to use it or lose it. So we ask, Lord, to help us to be faithful and not fearful stewards. You pray with me. God, we give thanks to you, God, for you are a gracious and benevolent, compassionate God, a God who provides for us, who, a God who cares for us. Help us to live in light of that, to stretch our faith, to be generous in the same ways that you have been generous and good to us, that we might Use what you have given us to further your kingdom, uh, to, to bring your gospel, to bring your justice to the people far off and to the, to the people nearby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.